As a parent, I know I want nothing but the best for my child. I want him to be successful. I want him to be happy, make sure he knows how to budget and all that stuff. But I also know as someone who's very type A, and if we're being honest, they're kind of neurotic. I'm also worried I'm passing on my anxiety or the negative societal expectations I've internalized onto him. I mean, do I really want him to think he has to work to the point of burnout to feel like a valuable human being or that he has to have a certain amount of money in his bank account? Of course not. If the point of raising tiny humans is to help them thrive, should we really be pushing our expectations or even our worth as who we are as parents onto them? I did spend several years really wrapped up in, okay, if my son is getting good grades, if my son gets into a good school, if my son does well, if my son succeeds, then I have not failed as a good mother because even though I worked from home and I was the primary breadwinner, look, my son did fine. I had to say, why am I still hanging on to these things that place these expectations of what I think my son should be rather than letting him figure out who he wants to be? That's Miranda. As you just heard, she wanted nothing but the best for her son. But her upbringing had her internalizing messages like, you need to go to good college to be successful. So that meant that she had essentially forced her son to do extracurricular activities like playing the piano, which, by the way, resulted in some not-so-happy discussions and money wasted on lessons, according to Miranda. Now, luckily, Miranda did move past that, and as you'll hear in this episode, her son turned out to be a pretty well-rounded kid. So... How did Miranda break the cycle and stop forcing her son to internalize the same messages that she did? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, a show where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I chat with Miranda Marquette, the founder of Freelance Writers Academy, about how she shifted her parenting tactics from one where she was basically perpetuating the internalized beliefs she was passed down about the idea of success. Miranda chats about how she was raised, what her parenting tactics used to be, and how she deconstructed her beliefs and, most importantly, her relationship with her son to parent in a way that enables him to reach his version of success. Before we start, I want you to know that there are no cut and dry answers when it comes to money management. That's why it's important for you to dial in on your emotions and use that as your guide. Luckily, I have a free emotional spending guide that walks you through with some juicy questions to help you get started. To download it, go to beyondthedollar.co slash spending. All right, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Miranda, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you on. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here. I love Beyond the Dollar. Thank you so much. So I'm really interested to hear your perspective of like really what were, first of all, what were your expectations from your parents or from your neighborhood growing up? Yeah, I mean, I know it was pretty much expected that I was going to go to college and that I should go to a good one. And just the fact that I was reasonably intelligent that I got good grades in school. My family was, when I was growing up, lower middle class. But by the time I graduated high school, we had moved up into upper middle class. And so that kind of movement, I guess, there was just this expectation to make sure I went to college, that it would be a four-year school. And in fact, when I ended up going to Southern Utah University for my undergrad, 
there was a lot of disappointment. I had been accepted to a small private Ivy League feeder. I'd been accepted to some other schools and offered scholarships to some of them. And in the end, I chose a small state school in Southern Utah. And it was really a bit of a letdown, I think, because I wasn't living up to my potential. So was it because you could have done, I guess, air quotes better if you went to an Ivy League college? Is that what that was all about? I don't know. I mean, I think too, part of this is wrapped up in this idea of vicarious living through your children, right? What your children accomplish, how much money they make, it all feeds into who you are, right? And how well you've done as a parent, right? If your child goes to Harvard, you've done better than if your child goes to a state school. We put so much into children and this idea that how your children turn out is a reflection on what kind of person you are or what kind of success you have. Do you feel like if your parents didn't kind of rise up the rank, so to speak, to upper middle class, that maybe their perception might have been different in terms of where you should go to school, what type of career that you should have? Probably not, honestly, because even though my dad and my mom are in a better economic situation, they're all very solidly middle class. My parents were both raised themselves in solidly middle class households. The only reason I remember this kind of rise through the ranks is because my parents were married young, had me young, and then started their family when they didn't have a lot of money. But because my dad was an educator and then he went out and worked for the government site, because of all of these things, they fully expected that they would live a middle-class life. And as a result, there was always that kind of expectation. And my dad, even though his father did not go to college, impressed upon all of his children the importance of going to college. It's really interesting what you said about what your children do is a reflection on who you are as a person or as a parent. How are you doing things differently with your son? I've actually had to make a transformation there too, because I did originally really get wrapped up in, oh, you got to have good grades. You want to get into a good school. You want to do the things. I did spend time being a little more into that than I am comfortable looking back. I'm just like, that's kind of a shitty thing for me to do. And I do kind of see how that did push me. And to some degree, it does reflect how I grew up because there is this idea of projecting this perfect image. And I wanted to make sure we were projecting that image of the good, faithful family as far as part of my religion goes. We were unconventional anyway because I was the primary breadwinner and that put us outside the bounds of respectability. And so I did, to a certain degree, I did spend several years really wrapped up in, okay, if my son is getting good grades, if my son gets into a good school, if my son does well, if my son succeeds, then I have not failed as a good mother because even though I worked from home and I was the primary breadwinner, look, my son did fine. And I did have to make a transition within myself to be able to say, now, wait a minute, am I going to really be a failure if my son doesn't go to some fancy four-year school? What's the measure, right? Well, is he able to take care of himself? Is he a decent human being? I had to look within myself and be like, my son should not be my identity. And it's not something I should be putting on my son to be my identity. I need to make my identity as what I do, not what my son does. Do I want to teach him so he's an independent person who can manage himself? Yes. Would I prefer it if he weren't an asshole? Also, yes. 
And so I think those are the things that matter, but it's hard for us to separate ourselves from that. Yeah. It, it's so fascinating. I think when you were talking about the idea of, am I going to be a failure because my identity is wrapped up in my son? I would love to unpack that. I do want to ask though, what led to this transformation or were there any situations where it kind of led you to go, okay, now I want to question what I've been doing before and, and I, I want to change? After my divorce, after I left my religion, after basically after I had a complete life upheaval and <laughs> moved across the country and <laughs> did all those things, I was to a certain degree pushing my son a lot in terms of, no, you have to pick a musical instrument. I don't care what one it is or you know whatever, but you have to do music. Oh, you have to pick a sport. I don't care if it's fencing, whatever. And I realized that me pushing him into a bunch of these things that he wasn't super interested in. I was just focused on this extracurricular stuff where I was like, oh, you have to do these things because this is what's going to get you either a scholarship or make sure you get into the good score or whatever. And when I realized that it was really straining the relationship, I had to take a step back and say, look, I've, I've deconstructed my religion and my relationship to my religion. I've deconstructed my relationship to my ex. We get along fine. I had to deconstruct that relationship and rebuild. I had to deconstruct the fact that I, after 17 years, moved back home and felt like a failure in defeat, right? I had to deconstruct all of that stuff and start looking at what do I do next? How do I rebuild myself and my relationship to my world around me? And the thing I hadn't done was deconstruct that relationship with my son. And so I, I had to say, why am I still hanging on to these things that place these expectations of what I think my son should be rather than letting him figure out who he wants to be? And so that's when I took a step back and was like, the first step was, is it worth it to make him go to piano lessons every week? No, it's just not worth it. It costs money and it's just a fight every week. And is it worth it? No, it is not. But then start looking at it in a different way beyond whether it's just worth the cost of the lessons. Is it worth the relationship? And also, once again, it had to go back to, well, I'm a divorced single mom who's left my religion. He really has to go to a good school now or I'm a complete failure, right? So yeah, just being able, you know, finally just looking in that and saying, okay, do I want to have the kind of relationship where I'm always fighting with my son or do I not? And I don't force anybody else to live my version of success. Why am I trying to make my son do it? I am curious about that whole message or the whole idea of, am I going to be a failure? I was a breadwinner. Now I'm divorced and a single mom and I've left my religion, all the things. Was it because of messages that you've seen around you or was it more explicit in terms of people telling you what to do when raising your son? So it's probably more internalized. Nobody's saying to my face, you're a total failure. It's really more internalized from the messages you get around you, the way you grow up, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, honestly, I don't get a lot of flack about how I raise my son right now, although I've been getting more and more questions about why I'm not pushing him. He wants to go to community college here in town. Nobody's commenting on how I raised him until this last year when they're like, oh, well, where does he think he wants to go to school? And I'm like, oh, well, he's going to start at the community college. And they're like, wait, what? And they're like, well, you should get him to go to a better school. He's a smart boy. He's got good test scores. He should be going to a different school. You need to push him to apply to better schools. And so I thought, my son doesn't want to do these things. I get that we all have to do things that we don't want to do on occasion. And the things that I force my son to do that he doesn't want to do are things like 
well, take out the trash because those are things we do as a family. Things that are life skills, right? Do some grocery shopping, things like that. I know none of us want to do those things, but they're essentials, they're life skills. Those are the things you should be, you know, forcing on your children, but like expectations, not so much. What has your response been when people say, you should do this, push him to go to more than just a community college? I pretty much just say, look, I think it's smart for him to go to the community college. It'll cost less and it'll give him a chance to really think about what he wants to do before he spends money at a four-year school and wastes money. I think it's smart. He can go to the community college. It costs less. If he decides he wants to transfer to a four-year school later, he can. If he decides he wants to do a trade, which by the way, you guys, I write about money and I can tell you right now, some of these trades that he would get experience in at a community college can mean decent money, especially in an area like where we live. And so I, I usually just say, hey, it gives him a chance to figure out what he wants to do without spending a lot of money. And then I go ahead and say, you know, and besides in the end, really what I'm concerned about is that he can support himself, that he is reasonably content with his life, and that he's not an asshole. I mean, that's really, that's all there is, right? Yeah. And graduating with less debt is always a good thing. And that's the thing too, is if he, if he goes to the community college, he won't have to take student loans because there's enough in the 529. Well, and we're just moving house right now. And the thing too is like he thinks about stuff in a way a lot of teenagers don't. He did a lot of research before we bought this recent car and he's got a Honda Civic. He chose that himself <laughs> because he did the research and realized that the repairs on it would be less frequent and it would be a more cost-efficient car to own than the Dodge Charger that he thought was really cool and had the good horsepower. And, you know, with this community college thing and then also with the living situation, he came to me because we were talking about living in one of the apartments with his friends near the community college. And they had done some research and realized that with the rental market here in town, it wasn't going to work out very well. And so he came to me and he said, how much do you want to spend each month? And I told him and he said, if you rent a bigger house, my friends and I will make up the difference between what it costs and how much you want to spend each month. It'll cost everybody less. And so now we're living close enough for them to bike. And his friends are planning on moving in. There's a downstairs. They have their own kitchen. They have their own space. So it's basically a downstairs apartment that my son is living in right now. And he's been doing his own grocery shopping for a year now for his lunches. And he told me this year he wants to start making his own dinners. So I'm sitting here going, okay, he may not be going to Yale or Harvard, but you know what? Dude can do his own grocery shopping and make his own food. So <laughs> I'm going to take that as a win. <laughs> like I'm going to take that as a measure of success. <laughs> also, P.S., Turns out he helps his friends and he's not a jerk. So also a plus. I think you may have already answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways, is once you've had this realization, you've deconstructed on why you're pushing your son, how did your behavior towards him change? And then how did your relationship change as a result? Yeah, I mean, it's just improved in general. And it was more about, I think, just me respecting his autonomy. And so I kind of just behaved in a way that, you know, I still like reasonable type expectations. If you're going to be out late, let me know. There are still times where I'm like, no, you still got to do this thing. Like you still got to come to granny and papa's and we're going to go have dinner with them once a week and do family dinner with my parents. 
you know, I'm like, there's still things you got to do. It's part of being a family. But for the most part, it's just, it, there's a lot more autonomy there and a lot more give and take. And I think too, part of it is, is you know, people are like, oh, you got to be the parent. Well, yes, you do have to be the parent. But at the same time, as they're getting closer to that age of 18 and everything else, you have to make room for the relationship to change as well. Yes, you're an adult with vast more experience and maturity. And then the other thing that really helped me, I read this thing once where somebody pointed out that, because we talk a lot about our children owe us this, our children owe us that, we fed them, we clothed them, we did whatever, we gave them these opportunities. Someone had written that we brought our children into the world, they didn't ask us to bring them in and didn't ask us to do all that stuff. They don't owe us for fulfilling our responsibility for bringing them here. And so that kind of flip too. There are times though, I still like struggle with that actually. But I think that kind of mindset that we kind of get into as well, where a lot of the time we talk about, oh, well, I spent all this money to feed, clothe, and house you. I did all these things. I gave you all these opportunities. I spent all this money on these activities. You owe me, right? You should be going out to this great college. You should be doing all these things because I did all these things for you. Well, honestly, it's like, well, you're the one who brought the child into the world. They're your responsibility. So <laughs> like really, it's your obligation to feed, clothe, and house your child um, since you're the one who brought them here without their consent. So it was just kind of an interesting thing when I read that because it kind of helped change my perspective a little, little bit. Like I said, sometimes I still struggle a little bit with it. You know, we're all people, we're all making progress. None of us is perfect and none of us is probably how we want to be yet. But yeah, that was kind of a different kind of perspective shift too that also helps improve the situation and the relationship. I know there are parents out there who would like to parent like you are right now. Like, okay, well, I'm going to let him make a choice. I'm going to show him maybe decision-making tactics. And then it's ultimately at him as, as that child gets older. But at the same time, I know I feel this, even though my son's five, is I tend to worry, right? Like, what if what I'm doing is not going to set him up to make these good decisions? What if what I'm doing is really going to end up ruining his future instead of me thinking it's going to help him? So how do you really manage that thought that's not useful at all? I wonder every day how much therapy he's going to need. Um, like, Let's be honest. No, I think every parent has that. And I don't think there's a way to completely get rid of that. And I worry about it too, a lot, because it's like, I like to think that I've equipped my son to go out there and do the thing. You know, he's thoughtful in his money decisions. He has life skills. So I'd like to think that's, he's got that core. But in the end, we can't make them, right? We can't make them. It is hard to let go of the idea that you can make them. I mean, when they're five, you can make them. Um, like You can shut them in the room and lock the door from the outside and leave them there <laughs> until they're ready to be reasonable. Um, so you can't do that with a teenager. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, but I think, I think there's a lot that goes into it. I remember the best things you can do is, is try and not show shock about things that they say and try and be as judgment-free as possible. It's really hard sometimes. When it comes down to it, it's like there have been instances where <laughs> my sons told me stuff and I'm just like, inside I'm screaming, oh my God, that's terrible. Don't ever do it again. But what I'm saying on the outside, I'm just like, okay, all right, well, let's talk about uh, potential consequences. You know, <laughs> like 
outside it's like very calm because the moment you get angry upset forbid them to do something it's over you know there's not going to be trust there I wish I had magnificent advice for everybody with children, but people are people and that's the same with your children and everybody's different. What you wish would happen on them instead focus on you. What do you want to become and how can you help guide or support your children as they work on who they want to become? Yeah, I love that. That's just like a very honest answer and I certainly appreciate it. Randa, thank you so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Well, thank you so much for having me. You can learn more about Miranda at FreelanceWriterAcademy.com or MirandaMarquit.com. Coming up next, I unpack my conversation with Miranda, including some hard questions we need to ask ourselves as we're raising our tiny humans. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Miranda. It's certainly given me quite a lot to think about in terms of how I want to raise my son. So some really tough questions that I think we have to ask ourselves as we are preparing to raise or are raising the next generation, right? As you're, whether you're a parent or whatever capacity, maybe you're a teacher or a social worker or whatever that is, is are we vicariously living through our child, right? That's a really hard one. And maybe that's something you don't want to hear. Maybe the answer is something you don't want to hear, right? And if you are or you're not, like, is it helpful? Is what you're doing really helpful? And in that financial sense or in a financial sense, do you want them to be financially successful so that it reflects on who you are and your capabilities or your worth as a parent, right? It's that whole question of like, is there success your success? How really is that true in a literal sense, right? Sure, you're you're raising this child and you're instilling values and all of those things and you're teaching them skills, but at the end of the day, they are you know, their own human beings. And so if we have internalized messages, or in general, if we have these internalized messages that aren't necessarily helpful or positive, do we want to pass it on to our children? And this is a question I know I've asked myself a lot. I actually wrote an article about being very scared about passing financial anxiety onto my child. Um, I'll link to that in the show notes. And it's really just me grappling with how I came to that realization, how I'm unpacking some of the internalized beliefs that I have, and how I'm really trying to move past that. Because I think we all have kind of our hangups about money. We all have our hangups about our idea of success. And unintentionally or intentionally, we're going to pass that on to our children unless we take some time to really unpack the things that we believe, right? And ultimately, isn't what we want for our children and future generations to be able to financially support themselves and, of course, thrive and then be happy and to help others? I know that is certainly true for me, and I'm sure that it is certainly true for you. So again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, please share it. It is going to help spread the mission of what we're trying to do around here at Beyond the Dollar, which is to have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. And if you want to have some chats with me, you can slide into my DMs at Beyond the Dollar. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Next time on Beyond the Dollar. This is still not easy to talk about. Honestly, because when it happens, like it always comes back on you. Like I was always considered the problem. I remember one time, like I had this boss and my mom is an 06 in the military 
and she was dating another 06 and he knew the 06 my mom was dating and he was like oh so like he's he's banging your mom and this is this is at work like this is at work this is in front of people like what do you say to that like what do you like what, what am i supposed to do with that 